Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. Welcome, folks, out there in movie land. This is the 34 Cersei Salon, and we are doing something a little different this week. Hooray for Hollywood! This week, we are going into Hollywood land. It is a new series called Classical World at the Movies. We're going to review historical films, films about classical history, classical heroes, and what film, review, show about the classical world would be complete without our own Dr. Gary Stickle. Hello, Gary. Hi there. Good to be back with you. Look at that adoring crowd. Listen to them. Listen to them. They just won't stop. So, Gary, this week is our first week of this, and we are going to review a film that I know is near and dear to your heart, the film Troy from 2004. Gary. Right off the top of the bat. Does the film live up to the historical background, basis for its story? No, uh, it's not a film near and dear to me. Um, uh, it's another attempt to present Homer uh, and Homer's Iliad, the story of the Trojan War. But, um, you know, the casting's variable. And uh, it fails to tell the story accurately, as you and I have discussed before. Let's um, talk about, let's start taking piece by piece. Okay, so let's talk about the story. Talk about the story. What is, what doesn't it get right about the storytelling? For those of you listening, this is the film, again, the film Troy. Of course, it's about the Trojan War. And you can see on our multiple episodes on this um, podcast platform on this podcast channel. We are covering, we're going through the Iliad. We're going through it chapter by chapter. We've talked about the Iliad. We've talked about the classical world. So if you need a little more info, a little more framework uh, to understand about that, this story, the story of the Trojan War, look at some of our, listen to some of our earlier episodes. I think you will enjoy them. So Gary, again, how does it miss in terms of the, the actual Iliad framework? Well, in a major way, uh, Homer's Iliad uh, is replete with the gods. Zeus, the king of the gods, and Hera, the queen of the gods, and uh, Athena, the goddess of wisdom and defensive war, and the god Ares, the god of war, um, and Hermes, uh, well, lesser extent uh, on Hermes, but the gods are essential to the uh, story and the movie Troy, it only referenced the gods like they mentioned the gods once in a while, but they weren't integral to the story. And uh, and I, that's not the way I'd like to see uh, the Iliad presented or the story of the Trojan War presented. I thought it was interesting in that aspect, because I agree with you, of course, that the gods are important in this story. And they're also exciting. The Greek gods and Greek mythology is really fun. They're great characters, Zeus, and of course, I love the goddesses, so Athena and Aphrodite and Hera. These are all great and these powerful female forces. These are great characters, right? 
And yes. so you exclude them. So from a storytelling standpoint, you're leaving out a lot of your, your best stuff, your juicy, fun stuff, uh, a lot of your juicy imagery. But what I thought was interesting, too, was they, they put the gods in there in a questioning way. Now, yeah. the way the story is structured, the things they question about the gods seem to be answered, in a sense, by the gods' revenge, by what happens to the different characters. I don't know if the filmmakers intended that. Yeah, or if you just it was an unavoidable aspect of the story, but it really does frame this as a godless uh, universe empty of the divine. So to me, that takes away, you know, some of the force of that era. It takes away a lot of the the drama. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll give you an example. Um, There's the sequence in the Iliad where uh, you know Prince Paris of Troy goes to Sparta and uh, and the the goddess Aphrodite helps him to find this Helen of Sparta who becomes Helen of Troy. Mm -hmm. And he instantly falls in love with her. And, uh, you know, it's oftentimes called abducts her back to Troy, Mm -hmm. but I think she probably willingly went. That would be my take on it. Um, There's, there's a couple of good, um, uh, good story arcs from different parts of the world, alternate versions where, yeah, she is, she decides to leave with Paris. Now we talk about, just for the listener, we talk about this idea of in the ancient world, the kind of misogyny, the abuse of women, the the misuse and mistreatment of women. So it's, this is not to say that abductions and forced, you know, um, uh, forced sexuality weren't part of the ancient world. What we're saying is, Based on this story, uh, the the different variations, the different traditions, Helen may have willingly left a really unpleasant husband to be with this other lover. So that's what's interesting, and that doesn't really, you know, it's not so clear in this one. Yeah, so what happens, he takes her back to Troy, and then her husband and the king of Sparta, Menelaus, uh, is outraged. Because you know it's it's an insult to the royal house of Sparta, an insult to him personally. You know, so he goes to his brother Agamemnon and Mycenae. Both these sites, uh, Sparta and Mycenae, are located on the Peloponnesus or Peloponnesos, I prefer to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this huge uh, <clears throat> peninsula connected to Upper Greece by the Isthmus of Corinth. It's also where the site of Olympia, where the Olympic Games were uh, performed, is also there. Uh, anyhow, he goes to his brother because his brother, he's not the king of all Greece. Like sometimes he's presented, he's the high king, kind of like the King Arthur of, uh, you know, Bronze Age Greece. Mm-hmm. So it's not a central governed body. He just is first among equals. He, yeah, he's, he's the okay. strongest. He has the most military capability, that kind of thing. Is the best dressed? Um, no, I'm kidding. And so he, um, and he agrees, and uh, so they agreed to form a an immense army with all, all these other kings of Greece participating. Uh, the most famous one is Odysseus from his Ithaca kingdom, uh, and they sailed to Troy on the proverbial thousand ships, mm-hmm. and. Uh, like Marlowe said in his Dr. Faustus, uh, you know, Helen was 
um, you know, the the face that sailed a thousand ships. Okay, let's let's hold right there. Let's not look, break the whole story down for everybody. Let's kind of go piece by piece. So let's talk about some of the characters. Okay, so you've mentioned we see in this piece we see Helen, Paris, Odysseus, and Agamemnon. This is where we get started, just uh, to this point. So. What do you think about how those characters are portrayed? What about, let's start with um, Agamemnon. What did you think of, and it's played by a fantastic actor, Brian Cox plays Agamemnon. What did you yes, think about the uh, character? Yeah, he was, he was an interesting take on it. Um, he uh, you know, was kind of gleefully willing to do it, not, not because he wanted to get... Uh, you know, justice for his brother, but because he wanted to destroy Troy, because Troy was a major rival to him and the Greeks in terms of trading, because so the, Troy controlled the opening to the, uh, you know, what, what is called the Dardanelles, the, the seaway that goes between the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea, and there's Greek colonies on the Black Sea. Um, so they took a very historical less uh, dramatic, less divine, just kind of like very practical, realpolitik view of why Agamemnon wanted to do this. The film took that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, it may well have been the case. Uh, mm-hmm. if there, I happen to believe there was a Trojan War. Maybe Agamemnon did do it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, that's the way they portrayed it. Um, Ryan thing- Cox, Brian mm-hmm. Cox was, was okay in the role. Yeah. Yeah, my thing was, I mean, I love Brian Cox. I have a very funny Brian Cox story. I'll just tell you quickly. Uh, Brian Cox did a one-man show here in Los Angeles, and I was given tickets to it, um, and I went to see it. Now, the problem was I had pulled an all-nighter. So I I had been working on something, and I had literally not slept in 24 hours. So when I got to the theater, I could barely keep my eyes open. As oh, luck right. would have it, I was seated two rows directly in front of Brian Cox. Oh, boy. So he's looking at me the whole time, and I'm just trying to keep my eyes open. And I always think this guy, amazing actor, I wonder if he thought, God, am I, am I so boring that I, this kid's falling asleep while I'm, while I'm doing this? Yeah, it's this not complimentary. I, I it, was, it was funny. It, I mean, it was hilarious because I, you know, it was a, he was doing a great performance, a great job. So as Agamemnon, I, I I just love his performances. I didn't like this character the way it was written. He played he played it as you know he played what he had. He played his his script. Yeah, they made it a little bit the way it was kind of directed, the way it was written. It written it was a little bit too snidely whiplash, cartoony. You know, like he's twirling his mustache and yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and rubbing his hands <laughs> together. It's a little. It was a little too much. A little too forced, overt wickedness you know a little uh, i would like to have seen that character drawn out uh drawn in such a way that it was a little more shaded for the actor because certainly cox shaded it as much as you could with that dialogue yeah nuanced uh, and so on i I agree i agree anyway so what about so we had agamemnon let's before let's put odysseus later let's go to paris i know you've talked about paris and uh tell the listener who paris is uh, and well, how you thought he was uh, portrayed. Well, Paris um, was the son of the king and queen, King Priam, uh, and 
uh, and Hecuba, the Queen Hecuba of Troy. Mm-hmm. And uh, his origin was that he had an older sister, Cassandra, who was gave, given the gift of prophecy by Apollo, something they could have shown if they showed the gods. Yeah, exactly. It's a great and important character. Because uh, she was actually worshiping in his temple on Troy when he appeared, and he he tried to rape her, uh, this according to Greek mythology, you know. Um, Apollo tried to rape her, yes. And um, she rebuked him. And um, and so um, it was appalled that this god that she was worshiping would try to sexually, you know, molest her. Mm-hmm. Um, so get this. I think this would have been gripping the show. Apollo spits into her mouth and says, I hereby give you the gift of prophecy, but I also condemn you to be doomed that nobody will believe your prophecies. That is a particularly twisted, ancient Greek, very misogynistic yes. story structure. That's that's un, that's crazy. Yeah, they probably wouldn't have gotten away with that depiction, but they should have shown something. Well, I, mean, I they think had they could have. I they mean, had it's, gods, it's modern day, and you know, and, you know, stories of uh, sexual molestation are you know like every day in the news. You know, current. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, uh, it's it'd be a little, so a little I, you intense, know, I, but sure. But the thing is, uh, according to Greek mythology, the gods were capable of doing that, you know, which is, shows that they, these weren't uh, necessarily honorable gods. Yeah, this is but not anyhow, our, our, our we, Judeo-Christian, Western, Abrahamic, I should say, Judeo-Christian. Yeah, yeah, Islamic exactly. Version of God. Um, it's a different. You know, God, God is, uh, you know, the Judeo-Christian God is totally moral and upright and would never mm-hmm. do anything like that. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But anyhow, because she's cursed that way, she tells her mother and father that if they let Paris live, he will cause the fall of Troy. That Troy will fall in flames. So they initially believe her. So um, King Priam orders a uh, loyal servant, uh, Agelaus is his name, to take uh, the baby Paris away and kill it. He agrees to do that, and they take it. He takes it to Mount Ida, where he lived. But you know, he looks at this baby, and here's the compassion that comes out. He just can't kill this beautiful little baby, so he raises a baby whose real name was Alexandros, mm-hmm. uh, and that's you know. So Alexander the Great was named after him, uh, and uh, so. But he renamed him so nobody would know who he was. He renamed him Paris. Which means uh, like a little, uh, it's a it's a carry bag, a bag you carry to carry stuff in as you go around. Um, so Paris is named after a, a bag to carry things in, um, um, and tied somehow to our modern day Paris Hilton, who carries little bags around. Oh yeah, anybody, there you go. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Where's your strange connection to mythology for Paris? So anyhow, Paris mm-hmm. grows up and um, he becomes a cowboy. Uh, and, um, so he's buff and everything, and he's a cowboy. Uh, then you have the so-called judgment of Paris again, with the gods that were left out of the Troy movie. Um, you have Herod, the queen of gods, you have Athena, goddess of wisdom and defensive war, and you have Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. So they appear before Paris on Mount Ida, you know, when he's herding his cows 
they force him to judge which one is the most beautiful, which is a doomed situation because whichever one you choose, the other two will be against you. And then you know what? Mm-hmm. God, goddess is against you. Absolutely not. But they give him no choice. And so uh, Hera uh, <clears throat> offers them Asia, Asia to rule, you know, and all this. Um, and uh, Athena offers them to be a great warrior. Um, but Aphrodite offers them the most beautiful woman in the world. And being a, you know, a healthy young man, he goes for that, you know? And as most healthy young men would. So let, let's, so let's stop with that because now that brings us to he, the, the woman that is that most beautiful woman in the world. It turns out to be Helen of Sparta. Right. Uh, and who he then and she, she was really played in the movie by Diane, Diane Kruger. Kruger. So let's talk about Diane Kruger and Orlando Bloom, who played Paris. So um, we we disagree a little bit on Diane Kruger. I think she's perfect for the role. I think she looks. No, I think she's a great actress, but she just yeah. wasn't given anything to do in the in the film. Oh, that I agree with you on. Absolutely, that I agree with you on. She, I mean, she certainly could. She looks like the face that I mean, could she's beautiful. Lips, she but, fits the role that way. She's a good actress because I've seen her in a very dramatic yeah, she's uh, a, another it's movie. She's terrific. Exceptional in. actress. Exceptional actress. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and uh, but they gave her nothing to do. For instance, um, what I was getting to earlier is, as the two armies are finally coming together on the plains of Troy, you know, in front of the city, uh, Homer says that Paris gets caught up in the moment. He steps out in front of the Trojan lines, and he asks. Uh, he challenges any Greek to a, a man-to-man battle, and whoever wins gets Helen and gets treasures, but they don't have to have a long war where thousands will die and all that. So Which they, to, do, they do show in the movie. They do have that scene. They the do movie. have that, but they don't resolve it the way uh, right. Homer did. Right, because right. what happens is in the movie, um, well, I mean, in, in the Homer story, uh, Paris is defeated by Menelaus, and um, but only after. By the way, uh, when Paris challenges all them all to a uh, man-to-man combat, Menelaus accepts it and he comes running at uh, Paris. As Homer says, like the god of war, Ares himself. And interestingly, Paris, who is really buff and he's a cowboy and all that, is a coward. And he backs into the Trojan lines where he's rebuked by Hector. So, and then, what a, you know, who, uh, who says to him, Paris, are you only good for pretty girls to run after? While the, why, why the Greeks must be now roaring with laughter. Um, well, so then what, he, what about he, he, he gets, he gets yeah. Paris to go out and fight, and Paris does. He goes out and fights Menelaus, and Menelaus starts to uh, defeat him knocks him to the ground and starts dragging him by his chin strap back to the Trojan uh, Greek lines where he'll definitely be killed. But here is where it differs from the movie. Aphrodite steps in, she causes the chin strap to snap, and then she causes a mist to suddenly appear and she uh, transports Paris away and puts him in the bedroom with Helen. Yeah, the film, well, the film removes the gods, so they have to come up with a, with a different way to do that. What I'm curious about is you've told me before, you don't think Orlando Bloom fit that role well enough. And again, another fantastic actor. But you thought he did not, he was not appropriate for that role. 
No, he came across as you know somewhat effeminate. Um, he doesn't have the physical build that I see Paris having, mm-hmm. and so he just looked like a a weak boy, you know, trying to fight this man, Menelaus. Um, and uh, you know, he, he was too wimpy for me. I, I just didn't think he fit the role. Well, that was interesting. Look, when I look at that film, it's He's clearly cast as the younger brother. He's made to be a boy in this version of the film. So he's supposed to be this boy. It's a it's a tough, it's a strange role because as you've pointed out, he is not exactly the most brave of characters. And that's a very difficult Well, I think role. that's interesting. That shows that yeah. Homer's characters are complex. They're they're not they're not uh one-node ponies, you know? Right, right. No, I think it's I think it's an, uh, incredible about it. So right now, we so we talked about Agamemnon, Brian Cox. We've talked about Paris, Orlando Bloom. We've talked about Helen, um, Diane Kruger. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other characters. So now we get into the story. We're in Troy. The battle is afoot. And, of course, two Homer's two great heroes, his two great epic heroes are in the Iliad. It's Achilles. And in the Odyssey, of course, it's Odysseus. So Achilles is Brad Pitt, you know, famous leading man actor. And then Sean Bean, one of my favorite actors, is Odysseus. And Sean Bean's played so many worlds. People, of course, would know him from Game of Thrones. Okay, Game of Thrones. Yeah, he was very good in that. He was Ned Stark, exactly. He was uh, fantastic as the Patriarch in season one. So great actor. Um, So what did you think of the portrayals? of Achilles and Odysseus. Well, I think Brad Pitt, to me, made a a fine Achilles. He's blonde, and they played that up. And, um, you know, he was he looked physically fit and muscular and everything. Um, and, uh, you know, he had the attitude because Achilles uh, knew he was the greatest warrior of the Greeks, and he didn't mind letting, letting you know about it. And Brad Pitt right. behaved like that. And also, Achilles believed he's God's gift to women, and Brad Pitt does too, so that fit. Yeah, that was interesting. I thought that he really played it like a modern day. We've talked about this before. Achilles is very much like your superstar athlete. Yeah. He's the guy the team needs, and he is not a team player superstar. He's a me player superstar. It's about making sure that the team and everyone else knows he's number one. And uh, he'll pitch in. When he has to, as you see in this movie, you know, there's uh, particular things bring him to get back into the fray. But he steps out of the fray in order to be wooed back. He basically wants them to have to come to him and say, we really need you, Achilles. Come fight. Right. That's what he wants to hear. So not a guy who's fighting for the noble causes. And the thing that brings him in is the death of his cousin, Patroclus. So... Which is an interesting thing for me in the film. I thought Brad Pitt was very well cast in this too. I, again, once again, I thought the writing just took something in the wrong direction and the directing because they turned Achilles, as you would expect. They have Brad Pitt. They tried to make this sort of a romance in the middle of this thing. And they set him up into this relationship with uh, Briseis, who is the slave girl, really a noble woman of Troy, who is a war capture. Well, actually, and, she's not of Troy. She's from another city that they conquered on the way to Troy. 
in the Iliad. Exactly. In the Iliad, right. In the movie, they make her. So she becomes the, the, in, in the Iliad, the love slave of Achilles. In the Iliad. And in the movie, they, I think they're trying to conflate a lot of characters, Cassandra, all of these, into the, into the Troy version of Briseis. So in the movie, she is that character. But that's my point. In the Iliad, for real, there's no love. There's no great romance with Briseis. She's a war captive. She exactly. is. Exactly. She's a sex slave. She's a sex slave. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, that's, this is the thing for me that with Hollywood that I really indict them on is that the hagiography of some of these ancient characters, instead of showing them in truth, they're too busy trying to make, you know, these characters into these superheroes when the beauty of their stories were they are anything but. They're very flawed. So they took this story of, of Achilles. They gave the relationship that he had with other characters in the, in the piece, and they put it to Briseis, and they put all these different things to, to make it seem as if he was, you know, yeah, it's sort of like a, the typical romance novel trope. It's like, yeah, he's a beast and he's a jerk and he's not a nice guy, but he has a soft heart. See, look at yeah, that. Yeah. But that's yeah. not true. The real Achilles per the Iliad was just a jerk. You know, the only he was a jerk was I, until the very end. Yeah, <clears throat> um, and uh, they do show that in the movie Troy, and it is uh, well done because it's the scene where King Priam of Troy. After Achilles has killed uh, the chief defender of Troy, the main son of King Priam, Hector. And um, so it's it's been portrayed in ancient pottery and vases and stuff like mm-hmm. this and statues and stuff like that. Anyhow, Achilles um, was so angry that Hector had killed uh, his, you know, war buddy and maybe lover, you know, Patroclus. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, look at that. That he wanted to wreak revenge. That's why he finally got back in the war. Uh, and uh, so he, he puts the body of uh, Hector underneath his bed, so the classical, uh, you know, Greek thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, But uh, I think the god Apollo made it so the body wouldn't deteriorate. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, so King Priam... He does the incredible thing of going to the Greek camp and somehow getting into it and into the hut of uh, Achilles. And Achilles is shocked to see this great king, you know, in his presence because he could easily kill him. Uh, And he's amazed that the uh, Greek guards, you know, uh, didn't see him. Um, And uh, so Peter O'Toole played King Prime beautifully, in my in my opinion. I, I like this one. I think Peter O'Toole and Sean Bean are the standout performances. Sean Bean as Odysseus, Peter O'Toole as Prime. Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. So Peter O'Toole goes and picks up the surprised hand of Achilles Brad Pitt and says, I do something that no man in history has done. I kiss the hand of the man who killed my son. And then he begs for the body of a Hector back so he can do the proper burial ceremony and so on. And mm-hmm. uh, and in, in the Iliad, uh, like you said, you know, Achilles is basically a jerk portrayed throughout the entire book. But in this final episode, he uh, shows a heart and he goes into this long speech in the, in the Iliad, which I call the uh, <clears throat> Achilles, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 
Not soliloquy? Monologue, but so- soliloquy? Soliloquy, thank you. Killing soliloquy. And basically he says, which Brad Pitt did say in the movie, that um, you know that King Priam was a better king than the bad king Agamemnon that was leading the Greeks. And he, and he agrees to return the body. <clears throat> he gives the body back to King Priam. So he shows a little mercy, which he hasn't shown throughout the entire book or film. And, uh, and it was, I think, the best scene in, in the movie. It's an amazing scene. The thing with Achilles, again, though, there's the he shows that that one bit of mercy. He is a jerk to everyone except Patroclus, and as you mentioned, Patroclus is most likely his, not just his buddy. They're also they're also a couple, uh, and I think they gave the tenderness that they gave him had Brad Pitt with Briseis is really a tenderness that was reserved for Patroclus because he's apparently the only person. I mean, when you go through, you see it. He's the only person he's really nice to. So you've got that. They conflate that story. They bring her. So I think the writers were trying to bring, clean up, sanitize, Hollywoodize these stories to make it work. And that's kind of what undercuts it. Homer, as you always uh, contend, is the, the great writer you know, in the Western world. You don't need to do anything to Homer. You no. know, it's like Shakespeare. You don't need to do anything to Shakespeare. Uh, these are great works. They have lasted so long. Because they're great works. Okay, so we've got, we talked about Achilles. We both agree that Pitt is well cast. I have an issue with how it's written because it's not, you know, just because it's a historical from your standpoint, but it just doesn't even work to me dramatically the way to make it. It's a Hollywood notion, make him the romantic lead when that's not really what Achilles was about. No, no. Um, yeah, unless you're talking about his his pal. Um, so it doesn't really fit. Um what about Odysseus? I thought Sean Bean was so good. It almost yeah. felt like Sean Bean and Peter O'Toole were in different movies. Like the two of them were in a one movie, and then Brad yes. Pitt and no, Eric I Banner agree. I thought, were in I another thought, movie. You know, it's like, I thought Odysseus was really well played by Sean Bean, and he has a famous, what they call the embassy to Achilles to get him to, to come back and fight, you know, which uh, Achilles refuses, but uh, he does respect Odysseus, you know. Right, right. No, and just the way he plays it, the sort of the the just foundational, the the groundedness he brings to that part. You you see the interior life of Achilles, the great mind, the wily. Sorry, of Odysseus, the wily Odysseus. You see that great mind. You see the mind moving in Sean Bean. You can see it in his performance. So I thought he was fantastic, and O'Toole, of course, was a legend. So he was amazing. Um, so, Gary, what did you think about Eric Bana as Hector? I thought he was pretty good. Um, and he portrayed, a, you know, kind of an intensity and everything. And when he has the final fatal duel with Achilles, <clears throat> he knows that he's he's up against a, a fantastic adversary and he gives it his best. I think they, I think the duel was pretty well done between them, in my opinion. I think so, too. I think the action sequences were done well, you know, as we were running up against our, our sort of time limit, but uh, we're a little past, but we'll go a little past for this one. I think the action sequences sequences were done well. Um, what but did what you I, think? And then I just want to add that this actress, uh, Saffron Burroughs, played yeah, in Drama Key, the, drama the wife key, of Hector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to bring her up. And uh, she looks terribly 
you know, distraught when she sees Achilles finally, you know, stabbing her husband to death. Mm-hmm. And uh, she breaks out in tears. And uh, I think that was a well-done scene. She's, again, another fine actress and a, a very good performance. I mean, the performances, I can't fault the performances in this film. I want to kind of tie it up. No, not not in the main, but uh, another criticism I want to get in before we uh, end mm-hmm. this is the costumes are all wrong. I mean, it's supposed to be Bronze Age Greece, which had amazing armor for the men. And they didn't have, you know, brush-like uh, uh, crests on the helmets. They had plumes coming out of the helmets. Um and uh, the armor and everything, and also the women, Bronze Age women were very beautifully dressed, and they weren't dressed that well. Uh, they were dressed, you know, Hollywood classical <clears throat> in the movie, which didn't work for me. But the worst thing is they had King Priam, Peter O'Toole, wearing a, a tie-dyed shirt, and I thought that was ludicrous. You're, so you're saying that the Trojans weren't hippies, because I don't heard they were hippies. So. Yes. Um well, I, I mean, so so uh, the authenticity wasn't really handled well. So, Gary, what about the architecture? Uh, you were going to say something you'd mentioned. Yeah, the architecture, architecture was, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of a boulderized Bronze Age, but not not uh, accurate. And the accurate architecture was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the uh, the actual palace of King Nestor was one of the kings that he was the old king that participated. He was in the movie, and he was in the the Iliad. They found his actual uh, palace at uh, Pylos or Pylos, P-Y-L-O-S, and uh, it was really beautiful. You know, the walls were painted with beautiful murals. Even the ceiling was painted beautifully, and the tapering columns were elegant and everything. Mm -hmm. So they left all that out, which is just wrong. And then, like I said, it had the wrong costumes, the wrong armor. Uh, Some of the costumes were ludicrous. and then they filmed uh, the film on the island of Malta and uh, and Cabo San Lucas, you know, down there in Baja, California. Mm-hmm. And those locations don't match the way Troy would have looked. There was actually a forest near Troy, and there was a plain, but it, it, would, it didn't look like the sandy, extensive beach of Cabo San Lucas. It just mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't accurate. Uh, okay. okay. An accurate, accurate look. So, Gary, if you had to give this on a five star, let, let, we'll come up with uh, five shields, okay? If you had to give it five shields for Ancient World, uh, how many shields would you give it? One being the weakest or none, and five shields being the best. Where would this film rate in our classical film rating scale? I, I'd, I'd give it two and a half shields, like a broken shield. <laughs> Yeah, so. Okay. I'm actually with you. I give it two and a half shields too. We are in agreement. Two and a half shields. I thought it's it, the cinematography I thought was beautiful. I thought yeah, some the of cinematography the was well yeah, done. Some of the performances are the music, very music was nondescript. It really didn't have a memorable theme to it. Oh, I have to say that's the one thing I would add. The music drove me crazy. There were moments when they used this swirling Hollywood sound that I just thought was so maudlin and over the top that it ruined that undercut sequences. I just thought, okay, these guys are just kind of throwing stuff in willy-nilly. But there's a, there's a 1955 version called Helen of Troy, and it had a beautiful theme to it way back then. I have a copy of that film. Well, we, might um, to, we might have to do a review of that one. But, uh, and then so the, other I, thing I, uh-huh. the other thing I, before, I want to get in here before we uh, close is they, they uh, 
played fast and loose with the story. I mean, they they oh, have yeah. Uh, yeah, they have. Uh, I think they have Agamemnon being killed. You know, at Troy. Well, they have Ajax being killed, and the whole point of the great play uh, and and the and uh, of Sophocles, and of course of the stories of the who gets Achilles arm. You know, that was all about Ajax and Odysseus and who should claim some of Achilles' armor and what has you know all that sort of stuff. That's an important tradition, and they just they destroy that because it makes no sense because Ajax gets killed, uh, and they do it because they want you to see that Hector can beat a really good guy. Uh, and then he fights Achilles. So it's this kind of, I get it. And we've pointed out where it doesn't match the story, but yeah, there's a lot of places where it doesn't quite and, and then, really fit. And then the sequence where Paris uh, <clears throat> kills Achilles, um, in the 1955 version, uh, you know, you always heard about Achilles healed and his mother dipped him in the sacred waters. Um, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, I excavated at the legendary birthplace of Achilles in Greece, a site called Achilleon. I'd led a UCLA expedition there. Mm-hmm. Um, great site, and we found wonderful things. Not of the Bronze Age, we're working in the Neolithic uh, part of the site. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, supposedly he's dipped in this sacred waters, and uh, so he was invincible except for his heels that she held him by, the so-called Achilles heels. Um, and in the movie, uh, Helen of Troy, Paris shoots an arrow and it hits him in the ankle because that's vulnerable. And he was riding a chariot, you know, uh, dragging Hector, the nude body of Hector around Troy, which uh, they had in the movie Troy, you know, with Brad Pitt as well. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, they have Achilles falling off the chariot, hitting his head and uh, and killing him that way. I thought that was a little more realistic than than the movie Troy. It just has Brad Pitt shooting him in the chest several times and he finally kills him. Well, so much for the invincibility except for his heels, you know. So, yeah, anyhow. Orlando Bloom shooting him, exactly. So there's there's stuff that's, you know, I certainly, as, uh, as someone who writes and directs, I have no problem with people taking some liberties, doing certain things. If it certainly serves the story or their vision of the story and it gives us something that's rewarding at the end, I just thought there were a lot of liberties taken that were not really helpful to the storytelling or making this a different version that was interesting for the viewer. You know, the, Beautifully the, shot, but, you know. The Iliad is the greatest story of war ever written, mm-hmm. most influential. And uh, I don't think the movie did justice to it. I agree and, with uh, you. I agree with you. It's, it the, was thing, a, the thing is... Um, Homer doesn't end the Iliad. I just want to get this out to the audience with the great downfall of Troy, like they showed in the movie, you know, with the burning of the city, the Trojan horse and all that. It's not even in the Iliad. Um, mm-hmm. It ends with the four major women of uh, Troy, Queen Hecuba, Andromache, the wife of Hector, and Cassandra, and Helen, all mo- you know, mourning the death of Hector. It's a very touching ending to the Iliad. And so it ends on that, that tragic note. And so, in a sense, you can consider the Iliad uh, anti-war story because it shows that it ends with the tragedy of war and not with the glory of the conquest of war. Mm-hmm. And also, it has, uh, just in that, again, you get the uh, the standpoint of women, the story of women told. And uh, again, you, we talked about this in some of our episodes earlier you do see uh, sympathy towards Helen. You sometimes see 
a misogyny on Homer's part, but you often see a sympathy towards Helen. Helen. So there is at least that that um, that tradition in the story. So on that note, Gary, I want to thank, as always, our Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you. Actually, let's give you a better applause than that. There you go. And uh, we will be doing more in this series. Uh, we'll have some more classical world out the movies coming up. So I am Sean Marlon Newcomb saying so long to you from Hollywood land. Thank you and take care. Hooray!